You excited for the conversation that we're about to have? Yes. <laughs> I think we're just blown away, guys. <laughs> um, I'm really excited to have Josh and Belinda. I actually um, only kind of knew you guys through a phone call a while ago for our momentum offering. And just so that you know, church, we have um, this year through our annual giving um, uh, support at Sapeo, and we're really excited to hear more and more stories, but we got to connect, and we got to connect at our ACC State Conference this week, and honestly, like every year, we, we as, a, as pastors, we gather together and we hear stories. It's always the missionary story that get me. Every single year is the missionary story. I was like, oh man, they're, they're going up. I've got to find the tissues. <laughs> the tissues. And I absolutely love it. We're going to uh, hear some amazing stories. But more than anything, I think it's just, I believe that God wants to give a deposit this morning of faith and of courage uh, to every person here. And um, I was so excited to have uh, this conversation. And, and maybe let's just kick off. We've heard a bit about Sapeo. Um, and, and I got to uh, actually hear a bit more. Ten years ago, you went to through. It wasn't necessarily the plan to start up this charity nonprofit and solve this problem. So, how did you go from just being there to actually going, hey, God's called me um, to make a difference in this country? Uh, it might be muted. Yeah, that's yep, yep, that's good, and we are good. good. Thank you. Um, yeah, Josh and I were absolutely accidental missionaries. Um, we were typical Australians. We were career focused. We were doing really well in our jobs. My background was politics. I worked for different ministers in government over in New South Wales. I worked for parliament and I was sent to Lesotho to help support their national elections. I was supposed to be there for a short contract and come home. So driven were we that Josh had stayed in Australia to build his career while I went to Lesotho by myself. Okay, we were on the fast track to a life that we all aspire to, right? To do our best, to be our best and to make a difference. But as I walked to and from my job each day, I was surrounded. I was surrounded by kids who were desperate and who were starving and I was overwhelmed by them and I was brushing them off and I was trying to get on with my life and I just felt that conviction, mm. you know, that it's one thing to stand in a congregation and to sing for God to send me and to sing about his love for people, but to be confronted with it and to do nothing about yeah. it. I mean, so all I did really at the time was just say, God, I will never again walk past a child as if they do not matter to you. And I'll offer those children what I do have. I have time and I have love. And I began just satting sitting there with each and every child on the street for two wow. years. That's all I did. And it was that time that mm. God used to transform my heart and begin to speak about the call. Yeah. So when you received the call then, surely there must have been a bit of trepidation um, to tackle an issue um, that large um, and go on, well, I think many of us can go, well, yeah, you know, we see problems and issues in our society. Um, but we just don't feel equipped for it. So how did you take that jump over that particular hurdle into actually doing something? Well, from you know, feeling called, and look, there was never this miraculous moment that we think a call looks like. Um, for us, it was the problem was in front of us and was so confronting that we felt, right, God's showing us something. We felt a responsibility. So when we talk about a call, really it was a huge sense of responsibility that this wow. is on us 
no one else was coming. So our immediate response was, right, well, let's find someone that we can fund to do this. That was our first step. Right. Well, there are plenty of other organisations that, um, you know, work with the poor. Why don't we see what they're doing if we can um, teach them what we've learnt over the, the 18 months about what's really going on and maybe they'll fix the problem. Um, that didn't work. No one was interested. They just wanted to do what they wanted to do. So after exhausting all options, we realised if this is going to happen, it's actually going to be us to do it. Um, so when Belinda said we were accidental missionaries, it was at about really three weeks' notice, <laughs> right, <laughs> where I'd quit my job and said the time is now. After all of this delay and searching, we say, right, we're playing around now. We are putting this off. It's now. Mm. Um, so for us, it looked like quitting a job and saying, if this is the right thing to do, God is going to be with us in it, right? Um, in a sense, there was a simplicity about it. Sometimes, you know, right and wrong. And at the time, we felt to not act is wrong. So the right thing to do is to act. So uh, I quit my job in Australia, came over to Belinda, and immediately we were missionaries. We went and, <laughs> we went and uh, registered our organisation in Lesotho. And then from there, um, yes, there was this big problem, but we had never set out to do something big, right? We didn't leave Australia to say, we're going to do great things in the country of Lesotho. None of that, right? There was not a huge amount of ambition. It was okay, we're just going to do what's in front of us and mm. be really faithful with that. Um, and to be honest, at the time, there was no budget. There was our last paycheck. Um, so there was, there was nothing in the natural to say that something huge was going to happen. Mm. Yep. Um, so really what that looked like in the first few years, there was no office. We didn't have a car. But we had ourselves. We had time, plenty of time, where we'd sit on mm. the street. And when we say we started a school, we had tried to get children back into families and we succeeded. But every time it would fail when we reintegrated them in schools because mm. the schools didn't understand their trauma. These kids were years behind in education. They, had, they were reacting aggressively. They were reacting out of their dysfunction and pain. And the schools, one by one by one, would just kick them out. And so we realised early, if these children are going to stay in their families, mm. they need a school that understands them. Right. No one would let us use their building for street kids. We tried to get buildings and facilities, no one would. Okay, what do we have in our hand? We had a folding table, which was the only piece of furniture we owned in our home, and we took it outside and put it in our backyard, and we started a school. <laughs> With six kids. Yep. Yeah. But with six kids, we began to see God is surely in this. Because mm. you saw in the video, other kids from the street would start arriving at our school saying, I hear that you help children find families and finish school. Mm. Can you find this uncle of mine? I used to live with his grandmother. Can you find this one? Yeah. And we're like, even with nothing, mm. this is working. God is in it. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask that. How did you know after trying for a while, hey, God's in this? And it sounds like after a while, there were those moments where it was like, hey, I've tried, and now there is this result, maybe, that, that, that spoke of God's hand, and, and so you just kept going with that. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. In, in everything we did, it was always a small start, right? And 
we would just get those little bits of encouragement to say it's working. Because um, when you say God's in something, sometimes it's hard to know, isn't it? Mm. Right? You hear it from a platform and you're like, I don't know what that looks like, but I'll just nod along and say that I understand. <laughs> uh, for us, what we were looking for were those little markers that we were on the right track. Every little success, we'd go, I think this is working. God has made a way for us. You know, God opened this little door. Um, you know, eventually, we were led into some facilities, right? Eventually, we had a, a stationery store say, we love what you're doing. We'll give you the first books, right? And for us, we're like, oh, wow, free books, right? It wasn't worth a lot of money, but we think, okay, we're just going to keep going, keep going, keep mm. going. Um, yeah. So that's what it looked like in those early years. Just mm. very small, but we saw those little markers to say, just keep going, keep going. Mm. It's hard, but just keep going. It's working yeah. for this one. All right, now it's working for this one. Yeah. I also love, through our conversations over the last few days, that there's this deliberateness. It's not just going in and... and I guess, you know, praying away the pain and, and just going, you know, I'm, I'm going to save all of this. But there was this kind of deliberateness about finding out what are the real needs. And, and I just love how, how you guys worked that out. And you've mentioned some of it as well already. But particularly, I guess, for my heart, is that it wasn't just setting up a school and, then, and, and just expecting that that would all work. But you also had um, the family reunification aspect and, and a lot of the care and, and, and the transformation that, that, that happened that way as well. Can you um, walk us on that journey of how you problem solved your way to understanding what were the key issues uh, that, needed, um, that needed work? Yeah, so those first two years when I was on the street, the first thing I did was trace the family of every single child who lived in town, a couple of hundred at the time. And from that data, I saw the patterns. There were patterns geographically. 80% of kids were coming from one set of villages, which tell you there's something going wrong in those villages. Right. But patterns in families. Mm. So as I said on the video, everyone had family. Mm. But there were issues going on in families that had never been addressed. Yeah. And it wasn't that children didn't want their families. They just wanted their families to heal. Mm. And what organisations that existed were doing were either ignoring the family completely and putting children in orphanages, yeah. or just dropping the child back at home without addressing what drove them to the street to begin with. Mm. So we said, what we're going to do is take our resource, mm. not build an orphanage, not build anything residential, but fund healing for children and their families. Yeah, so good. And so we went back in and we said, what went wrong here? What would it take for you to heal? We'll provide that. And a lot of that looks like journeying with families. We spend years with every single family, helping them um, with their conflicts, mm. helping them um, with their own personal traumas as mm. parents. And if we do find families that are just um, too difficult or too dysfunctional that they would be unsafe, yeah. we work within the culture of our society and we look for grandparents, uncles, aunts, anyone who has ever loved this child. Mm. Say, how can we support you to raise this child so this child gets to stay in their community? So good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think here comes the fun part. We always love to hear the stories of how God has miraculously done stuff in the lives that are transformed. Can you share with us a few stories with the work that you've done um, like those that you shared at conference was amazing as well. <laughs> but I'm sure there's plenty more for you to choose from. Um, so quite literally thousands now have gone from the first time we met them. They were 
they were practically dead inside. You know, I mean, the amount of trauma, repeated trauma from birth until the time we met them. Um, you felt like this was a person who was a shell of who they were created to be. Mm. So it takes years. The first year, I would say, is just establishing that you are different and you are a trustworthy person. They will reject you. Um, their pain will pour out on you. And you just need to prove yourself over and over and over and over again, mm. which takes the grace of God. Mm. Mm. But we have a 95% success rate. Yeah. We have no children living on the streets of our capital city mm. any longer. Eventually it clicks over and you start to see life into this person and into mm. this family. So the example I gave at mm. national conference was um, of a particular day where I was driving from our site into town and I saw two boys who had been tied together and they were being walked through the village, dragged through the village. It was clear they had stolen something and they were going to receive their collective beating. And I called my team and I said, you need to get down now and you need to save these kids. My team spent hours walking behind this mob, rescuing these boys. And eventually they negotiated and got these children um, released. But when I went back and found the family, it was the most dysfunctional situation that I had ever encountered. So that mum had been through so much trauma. Um, all, all of her kids were spread out over the village. A two-year-old I would find kilometres away at night time. She was living with one man, pregnant to another man. They had been kicked out of homes, kicked out of villages, expelled by chiefs. And I was like, this family can never be stable because this woman would never hold down a job long enough mm. to be able to pay rent, right? No one would ever put up with it. Yeah. What we do at Sapeo is we take the burden. We hired her. We brought her on, we gave her a job that she could have, and we began to walk systematically with her for four years now. Mm. We had to teach her how to come to work on time. We had to teach her how to sleep at home every night. We had to teach her how to interact with her babies. We had to be there to forgive her when she would pour out all of her pain on us mm. over and over. And it's exhausting. It's not an easy job. But we are four years in now. Those three children of hers have just, they're just about to graduate this year from our school. They are stable. She has slept at home for the last two years consistently. There are no men circling through that home. Mm. That, that family has stayed in that home. It is the burden carrying church that transforms families. It's when we mm. get in and we say, I didn't cause this. I'm not responsible so for this. There is no way you can do this on your own. We will carry this with you because that is the form of love that our God has offered to us. So good. That's amazing. <laughs> I guess I can think of a couple of stories that really stand out to us um, from the last couple of years. Um, you saw that you know, the street is pretty empty now in Maseru. Uh, but a few years ago, um, we were given land right in the middle of that village that Belinda was talking about, right in the middle. And we just had a sense that you know, we weren't just to be there to catch kids as they arrived on the street, but we thought, what if we could stop them going altogether? Because there was so much going on in that village, um, we sort of didn't know where to start because it's overwhelming to be in the middle of that much poverty, that much pain, um, that, must, that much dysfunction. Um, but one thing we knew from collecting all the data is that a child's journey to the street is somewhat predictable mm. in that the first thing that will happen is that they will stop attending school well or they'll drop out of primary school. Right, that's the first thing to happen before they end up arriving on the street eventually. 
So we thought, is there a way where we can keep kids in school? And so we decided to start a free tutoring program where we went to all the schools in the village and said, right, as soon as a child drops out of school, let us know. We would find them, bring them to our tutoring program so they could catch up on right. their learning, Yeah. right? So that they weren't behind their peers because why would you keep going to school if you just feel stupid every day? So we would um, catch them up in literacy and numeracy so that they could attend school well. At the same time, working on their own hearts and at the same time, um, other parts of our team working in the homes. And the thing about prevention work is you don't know if you've actually prevented something, right? <laughs> it's a bit of guesswork. How do we know yeah. we prevented? Um, except this year, uh, I was sitting down with our street team understanding who the new kids were arriving on the streets. This year, 2023, not one child from Motimposo, our village, has gone to the streets. Wow. Right, that's prevention work, isn't it? Mm. That's working. Mm. And, you know, when we look at this from a biblical point of view, you know, we hear about justice so much and mm. God desires fairness. And when we look at it, we see, God, you really do care. This is true justice, isn't it? Yeah. That children were prevented on their, their journey because mm. we know where they'd end up. Mm -hmm. you know, on the streets, you know, it used to be the only way off was prison or death. Wow. Right, but we just see how much God loves people. Mm. Um, he just set up all the way for us to arrive where we arrived. Yeah. The other story I'd really love to share with you is, again, God sort of pushes us into these areas that we don't feel we're ready for yet, but mm. we think, one day, one day, um, but it's like, no, and now, now. Um, in our work in families, you, you'd go knock on one door and next door you'd find just chaos. Um, and what one thing we found quite regularly, it was really disturbing, was little ones, toddlers being left alone all day, 10, 12 hours. Wow. With no care, no supervision mm. in a home. And we worked with the team to really get to the root cause to understand, right? Rather than just treat what we saw in front of us. And as we started to understand the deeper issues, we saw actually these mums are completely desperate and they're alone. They're faced with the impossible decision of, do I go to work? Do I go find a job to look after my baby? Or do I stay home and look after baby and then have no money to eat or live? And we just had so much compassion and then realised, do you know what, if there was some free childcare, these mothers would not be alone. They could lift the load. They could care for their kids. They could go to work mm. like most of us do, right? Um, we have supports around us. They had none. So we said, let's try it. And, and this is the way we do everything, all right? We don't have this grand plan and start something. We say, let's try it, let's give it a go. With our school, it was six kids. We've said, well, if it fails, it's six kids. We did the same with childcare. So mm. we started a free childcare centre. And let, let's just start with a few. And it started working immediately. Not only were um, the kids being cared for, they were hitting their development milestones. Wow. Right? And they, right now, are indistinguishable from any other child in the village. You would not know the histories they've had. Can I jump in? You can jump in. And <laughs> the other thing we didn't realise was going to happen was um, we had 
mums who felt they had no choice but to give up their child completely. So they would be knocking on a gate saying, mm. I, need to, I need you to help me give my child to an orphanage. Mm. And we realised, you don't want to relinquish your child. You just want a solution to this situation you were in. So we started offering free childcare. What if we didn't relinquish your child? What if instead we took care of your child all day long for free and you can drop them up, drop them in the morning and pick them up in the afternoon? We have prevented so many cases of abandonment yeah, so through something as simple as free childcare. Yeah. And those mums are so much more engaged as yeah. mothers now, right? Mm. They say, I can do this. Yeah. I can parent. I, you know, and we give a bit of training, but mostly it's just because some burden was lifted. That they wow. arrive on time to pick up their child. They uh, are invested in loving that child. It's been a miracle. That is so good. And, and we love the success stories. And behind every success story, there's probably a whole bunch of obstacles and maybe coins of wanting to give up. How did you, uh, maybe you can, if, if you can share with us, maybe a particular situation that was like uh, close to giving up. It was like, I don't know if we can actually do this. I don't know if this is the solution. Maybe there was disappointment there as well. How did you journey through that? Um, and, and continue to go, no, God's, God's calling us to this. So, when you talk about moments, I, for me, there were not you know, moments where I say, right, this thing's happened, I'm going to give up. Mm. I could say easily the first four years were just so hard and personally costly. Um, it was painful. We were alone. No one knew about us, right? Um, we had no support, no personal support. We were living month to month by the grace of God, which was good in one sense because it was by the grace of God. But in another sense, you know, it was, it just felt like we can't keep doing this forever. Mm. But there was just a bit of us that knew God's doing a work in us. Yeah. Right. Um, in, can I say, breaking us down to nothing. And he was asking us to pay a cost. Mm. Now, we were the people that sang, yeah, we'll pay any cost, God. But then there came a point where we actually had to pay the cost. Mm. And it was that, that daily questioning, am I really prepared to pay the cost, to do what it takes to see what we're seeing now? Yeah. Uh, because you don't get that feedback immediately. No. But it was just a conviction. We just want to do the right thing. We're going to do what's right. God is a rewarder. He's doing a work in me. Um, we saw little bits and we said we're just hanging on to those things and those little bits of encouragement although mm. they weren't the things we wanted yeah it was enough that we needed to say god's doing something he's there he hasn't left us mm. yeah that's so good i guess there's one one of the things i did hear is that loving people can be exhausting yes. um how do you manage that exhaustion <laughs> sometimes how do you know oh this person is worth the continued investment versus, oh, this could be used better elsewhere. Do you struggle with that question? How do you answer that question? What I learned uh, early on was that we are really poor judges of who is going to change. Yeah, right. And God told me to stop trying to predetermine who he has chosen and who he's going to work through. Mm. Which means from the outset, I will blanket, include, train, love, offer experience to absolutely everybody. 
Yeah. And I am utterly surprised at who takes it and rises to the top every time. Yeah. Because it is, it is people who look at the outside. It is mm. God who looks at the heart. So we don't know. And it's the most mm. unlikely people that will just turn around and you'll say, this one God has chosen yeah. for his plan. So at yeah. the beginning, we have a blanket. We hire people who haven't finished primary school. Mm. We hire people out of prison. Right? And we, when we do hiring, we say six months to a year, we are just going to pour into you mm-hmm. and expect nothing. We're just going to see what comes out. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's never the one that I would expect. Mm. Um, likewise, with when we take kids off the street, it's everyone. Mm. Um, we tend to walk about three years, possibly four, mm-hmm. with each child. We found that's our sweet spot. Because you you're not somebody's saviour. You're not someone who's going to be you mm. know, a replacement to their own personal responsibility. Yeah. But it's enough to say, um, I have given you opportunity. I have given mm. you choice. What you do with that now is going to be with you. Yeah. 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 So how do you deal with the disappointment is you offer the choice and the opportunities you pour out and the person then chooses to maybe walk away from that. How do you deal with that disappointment? It's, it's not disappointing. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Let's take a child, mm-hmm. right? I spend three or four years pouring, teaching, loving, and I see no fruit. Mm. There comes a point in everyone's journey where they have that moment of reckoning. Yeah. There might be 21, 22, 23. Mm-hmm. What you'll find is that that child at that age turns around and remembers everything that you have put in them. Mm. But the child who was just rejected and ignored, 21, mm. 22, 23 happens, their brain matures, they turn around, there's nothing to draw on. Yeah. They were taught nothing at all. They were given mm. no love, no alternative. Yeah. And they've only got one path in front of them that they can choose from. Yeah. So for me, I'm not looking for the immediate fruit. I'm looking to sow. Right. Let me plant it in you yeah. and it'll, it'll blossom at some point in your life. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, and that reckoning of maturing so far, 100%, will come back at some point. Yeah. That The child where you think, oh, we failed you, we didn't give you everything we wanted to give, mm. um, it didn't work out how we wanted. Yeah. Every single time, uh, even if it sort of ends badly and they say, I'm done and I'm out of here, mm. they'll come back and say, oh, I've got a job, I'm married. <laughs> and and they, they think to come back. Or if something goes on in their life, mm. they come back because they there's something where they know I'm loved here. That's right. Right? Um, people will put up with my mess, but they walk away convinced this is actually a safe place yeah. and somewhere that I'm loved. So good. One of the examples we have is a child who actually left us. He came when he knew we were away one night and he completely ransacked our house. Right. He stole stuff and that was how our relationship ended. Mm. Um, three years later, which was probably two years ago now, he came back during COVID. Yeah. Three years after that incident and he now makes masks for COVID. He came back with a donation of 60 masks for every child in our school mm. to say, I know that they love me and I want to say I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a long game sometimes. Yeah, And um, isn't that what God does with us? <laughs> it, it's what God does, does with, with us. us. Yeah. It's what he does with us. Yeah. It's so amazing. Can I just make a point, though, that this, when we do this for, for difficult people, people who have been through pain and through trauma, it's a role that we play. 
we're not drawing our needs from those relationships, okay? Mm. So you will get your feeding, your love, your nourishment from your other relationships, from your friendships, from your partnerships, so that when you go and you enter these relationships, you're mm. not needing anything from them in return. Yeah. You can love unconditionally. You can um, expect nothing. Mm. You're just there to offer the kind of love that Jesus yeah. demonstrates. Yeah. yeah, which probably means that you need to have a really good self-awareness of, of where you're at and what you're needing to draw as well. How do you manage that, that tension, you know, the demands of the, the job and, and the personal needs as well? There were a good number of years where we did not do that well, mm. right? Uh, we you know, became very unwell. We both had, were burnt out at some point. Mm. Um, but I can tell you what we do now. Um, there are certain rhythms that we, we follow, um, things like Sabbath, right, which sounds like an old idea um, sounds like an old religious idea. This idea of a complete stop, at least once a week, right? Mm. Um, God has given that, us that as a gift. So to be obedient to that mm -hmm. and to actually stop and have Sabbath, family time, um, is a gift. So we have been very purposeful in that in the last mm. few years. Um, and the other is being aware of the needs of our own kids. Yes. Right? Mm. Um, when... You, we're constantly surrounded by urgent um, needs that require our attention. Um, our own kids can feel like second place a lot of the time. Mm. Mm. Um, so being aware of that, uh, we've been purposeful. One of them just stick, stuck his head around the corner. You're still there, men. Love you very much. <laughs> um, is to make sure they get our attention, that they get what we need. Um, I feel if I'm doing Sabbath, and I am being a good dad in terms of time, that gives me the ability to give what's left yeah. fully. Yeah. And we have an amazing team now. When it started, it was us two and one um, girl who was on the video there, the three of us together. We have a team of nearly 30 now. And when you are leading other people, you're aware of the impact on them because you want them to have a life they enjoy and you're mm. encouraging them to have balance. So we all are holding each other accountable to say, mm. what can we do for the rest of our life? Not what can we sustain for this year and get through this surge? Yeah. How, can we, how can we enjoy the rest of our life? How can yeah. we balance so that we can continue to the very last chapter? Mm, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So when I meet with our top leaders every week, every Monday, first thing, I meet with them. First question is, how was your weekend? What did you do? What did you do for rest and filling? Right? And we actually hold each other accountable to that. So good. If, if they say, well, no, I didn't get any rest, it comes to a point where, okay, that happened once, but we're not going to repeat that. And we say, your rest and finding joy in life mm. is important. Because yeah. um, if you spend any time around people, who are suffering, you can experience a lot of guilt about experiencing joy. Mm. Wow. Right? Yeah. We've, we've been there. Yeah. Um, anytime mm. you feel some sort of happiness, it's like, I shouldn't be feeling this because other people don't get to feel this. Uh, we are learning to give our permi ourselves permission to experience some joy. Yeah. It's okay. Mm. That's really good. Yeah. We're running out of time slowly. <laughs> what would you say to someone that goes, you know, I get this sense that there's these 
like the way you, you put it, I love it. It's like that sense of responsibility about a need, about something that's going on. And then um, you go, but I'm not qualified. You know, like you, you in politics, I think you, you mentioned your project management, construction, nothing about schooling, nothing about trauma-related care. How do you bridge that gap between I feel cold but unqualified? Um, so I actually do have a psychology degree. That was my undergrad. So we do have some related skills. Skills are so important. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes in faith communities, we're all faith. Yeah. But the Bible is very clear that it's faith and works. Mm -hmm. David was chosen because he had the faith to take on the Goliath, mm -hmm. and he was skilled. Yeah. He knew how to use it. Yeah. Okay. So if you feel called in a direction, it's a calling to get skills. Mm. It's a calling to sit under people who are skilled. Yeah. It's a calling to understand a problem and do whatever it takes to effectively meet those needs. So, good. so in between the passion and the outcome is a whole lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And for you, getting skills can look different depending on what you're wanting yeah. to get involved in, right? Yeah. Mm. It, look, it can be a qualification, but don't be scared off by that. No. It might be committing to doing some courses or reading books. It might be getting experience. Yep. Okay. Experience is wonderful. Yep. Um, it might, you might feel a call in a direction and you say, do you know what, I just need to volunteer yep. a day a week or whatever you've got available, just learning from people who are doing it. Um, the, one of the greatest ways we can um, give honour to the poor and the hurting is actually to get the skills to be able to help them. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it is a, an elevating thing mm -hmm. when we can bring our best to them right yeah. they need your love they need god's love mm -hmm. but they also need what you're able to bring in terms of skills and experience yeah that's wonderful how can we as a church continue to support um Sapeo and the work that you're doing um and to keep in touch with what's what's taking place we have a newsletter if you're yeah we do have a newsletter that yeah. you can sign up for um it's on our website um, sapeo.org sapeo.org um, one of the best ways that you can help is what you've actually already done um, that offering that you raise helps us do the work right at the moment we have a lot of need and we get to say yes when there's the resource to do it mm. right when there's a teacher there that can teach a class right we can't bring a child to our school if we don't have the teacher or the, the desks or the buildings yeah. um, or the ability to put on electricity. Mm. Um, at a simple level, that mm. offering helps. Yeah. It helps us do what we do. Um, we do have our newsletter in that is a great platform for you to be able to pray. So mm -hmm. much of what we see is the hand of God moving. Yeah. Why? Because he loves people. Yeah. He loves people more than we do. All right, he cares way more than we care. Yeah. Yeah. Right, that's who our God is. So prayer um, is not something we diminish. Mm. Um, it is the answer so, many, mm. so much of the time. Yeah, fantastic. I don't know if you're allowed to share this, but because I would love us to be stirred up in what we see. What's next for Sapaya? You've solved some pretty crazy issues, but I know from our conversations that there's more ahead. What are you dreaming about next? We're comfortable sharing what we're dreaming about. Um, when when you, some people say, what's next? You're like, well, you know, we don't want to 
speak out of turn, but I can tell mm -hmm. you what's on our hearts. So yes, there are, at the moment, there are no children going to the streets from our village, right, Motimposo. Um, but there's another village, probably about 15 minutes away, where the children are coming from. Like the, it's the new hotspot. Um, everything we were finding in Motimposo, we are now finding over in a place called Kwading. And at the moment, we are busing some kids but we're finding so much need in families. Again, kids starting to drop out of school. We feel like at some point in the near future, we'd love to establish a second campus over there to meet the needs of that community mm -hmm. rather than bussing them in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Any other dreams, Belinda? <laughs> um, we have wait lists. Mm -hmm. So right now our wait list exceeds our enrolment. Mm. Um, and it's intense, as you know. Every child that we bring in, we keep for a couple of years. So we are always looking to bring on the people to meet the need yeah. so that we can clear the, yeah. the, the wait list. So we have children actually sitting in homes right now that we mm. promised them a place at our school if they would do the right thing and return to their home and they're waiting and we still haven't been able to bring them. Right. So we want to get through yeah. those over the next 12 months as well. Yeah, yeah. so wonderful. Yeah. Honestly, part of what uh, the conversations that I've had, I'm like, I think we can learn some of those skills in restoring um, families and, and helping people heal. And who knows, maybe there'll be some way to get some of that learnings, uh, obviously translated to an Australian context. But I think it'll be a wonderful thing. Uh, as we close this morning, can I ask you to pray for us? In particular, I feel like um, your, your journey and your faith is something that we need. We're, we're in a new place. You know, we've been here a couple of months and uh, we see the need that is, that is coming out. And yeah, there's a certain sense of there's need and we need the resources, but we also need to have the faith and the courage to step out. So if you can just pray for us as we close this morning, that'll be amazing. Our Father, this morning we are together as one in unity in your presence and under your name. And we are here under the power of God, carrying the authority that comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we acknowledge that anything we have been given is not for ourselves. Father, there is a world out there that you have so loved. There is a commission you have given to your church to go out and seek and save that one yeah. You have given us a mandate for every person that is rejected and mistreated and hated and isolated and alone. You have given us a mandate, Father, for children to be in families. You have given us a mandate for injustices to be made right. And so today as a church, we are committing, Father, to obedience in that mandate. Yes. We are asking you, Heavenly Father, to begin a work within us that overflows outside of these walls. Father, that our eyes would see where you have called us, that you would begin to lead us in faithfulness towards the people that you have set mm. ahead of us. Father, you have promised us that the works you have prepared, that was before time, that the people we were to encounter, that was before we were born. Father, so we commit now to this journey of faithfulness with what is in our hand mm. and with the problems we see in front of us, that your name and your love and your glory would be name, made known in this community, Heavenly Father. 
God, I ask that you would begin to deal with the stuff in us, the self in us that might be a hindrance mm. to the outworking of your love, that we would obey your command to take up our cross and to die to ourselves, to deny ourselves, Father, that the love we offer would be pure, it would be representative of your heart, Father, that anything within us that is self-centred or ambitious or desires to elevate ourselves would be put to death, Father, that it would be the pure heart of God that we carry into our community in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Why don't we thank Josh and Belinda? We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.